Welcome to another episode of Hot Mass Espresso. Let's get into this week. What's up, guys? We are in a little bit of a different environment today. I'm actually at the gym, and joining me is Dr. Stephen Fos, a physical therapist. What's up? Not much. Just typical day. Having fun. Talking to you. Awesome. So uh, tell me a touch about what got you into physical therapy, all that fun stuff. So um, I don't feel I have a super interesting story. Most people that got into physical therapy, they either were injured in sports um, and have gone to physical therapy and really liked that. I'd say that's kind of the classic story, but truly I went into college not knowing and met my now wife um, freshman year who very clearly knew she wanted to be an occupational therapist. And um, once kind of learning a little bit about what they do and spending time with her, I really liked the ideas and values and um, life that could entail. So I did some due diligence and kind of explored occupational therapy, physical therapy, and other of those more healthcare related jobs and um, came home for a break and quickly went to a PT facility and said, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I'd like to shadow you all and see if this is something I'm interested in. And I felt a very clear yes when I did that. And so it, it really all took off from there. So um, yeah. And then everything's been physical therapy since. So your wife's occupational therapy, how does, does that actually meld well together? Cause I know they're two different things, Yeah. but so, so we share skills, you know, when it comes to occupational therapy and physical therapy, I think the public's knowledge is, um, I guess the easiest way to break them separate is occupational therapists typically work more in hospitals, nursing homes, and some hand clinics in the outpatient world. And physical therapists, they work in those facilities too, but physical therapists typically dominate like the outpatient side of things. And then when it comes to what we see and who we help, um, the way the healthcare world is, occupational therapists end up dealing more with upper body um, in hospitals and nursing homes. So individuals working on using their hands, getting dressed, going to the bathroom, cooking, whereas PT is more, you know, getting up from chairs, getting off the toilet, doing stairs, things like that. So I think that's a fair separation. Um, but we've actually worked together at a job too. So that was fun doing home care. And so we'd go to a patients' houses that had maybe a stroke or a broken hip and, you know, again, breaking it down into upper body versus lower body, they utilize both services to get back to doing what they were doing. And so, yeah, we share, it's different. Um, it's kind of a gray blur, but that's kind of the maybe clearest way to separate them. No, that makes total sense. And it's actually really cool that you guys have uh, done jobs together. So do you tend to see a lot of chronic PT patients and do you, do you find that when you do that they're 
mental health kind of goes in waves, especially when you're dealing with people with just like chronic illnesses, chronic pain, chronic issues that aren't exactly just like cured in six weeks of PT. So I think separate from chronic pain, everyone's mental health goes in waves. And um, pain is just another output of mental health. It's not separate at all. It's very intertwined. Um, it's bi-directional. They affect each other significantly. And yeah, they're, it's, it's, it's almost in my mind more of one thing. Um, I can tell you, I exercise more for my mental health um, but yeah, whether I'm meeting a young 20 year old or someone who's had chronic pain for, you know, 30 years, I don't really look at them different. There's just, um, there's different aspects that need to be addressed. Their, their sessions will look completely different, but, um, that's just like what it is. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm going off script for a second, yeah. but like I was, I was curious, what are like some of your favorite conditions or like injuries to treat? Like, what are the ones that you're just like, Oh, I love treating this. So that's definitely spine pain. Um, cause typically it is something that people have dealt with for a really long time. And, um, again, that's something where like I can have 20 years of come and go, or maybe even consistent back pain that we can change things fairly dramatically, sometimes quickly. I've also had situations where I thought it'd be easier fixes and it's taken a really long time, or maybe I haven't helped them as much as I thought in the beginning, but there's so much, the journey is so variable with those people that it's really exciting. And um, typically these people have exhausted so many options with doctors, medications, looking up on the internet, um yoga their aunt nancy gave them this essential oil like literally they've gone through all of these things and it's hard to not it's hard it, the the interaction with the patient is so fun because you're just another one of those people that they feel probably won't help them but when you actually do uh it's it's like the most rewarding it's like the most rewarding thing ever. So I like those. Now it makes the most sense. So kind of a little more difficult question, but how do you feel a psychosocial approach affects your treatment with, uh, with your patients? So it affects everything. Um, if there's a healthcare provider that's not taking biopsychosocial factors into care, they're just not up to date. And that's probably the nicest thing I could say. Um, you know, there's plenty of research that shows, regardless of the biopsychosocial factors, if the patient doesn't like the clinician, they, they won't help them. It doesn't matter how good you are. And so some of that's just the art and craft of healthcare and being a people person and being liked because um, you can't help somebody if they don't come back. So like there is this um, 
there's the there's the ability to build rapport with a stranger and someone that has a a lot of things going on just like you do and so that's the fun part again is just being human and um and then when it comes to kind of the actual biopsychosocial model and how it affects pain again it's huge it's it's physical pain and the biopsychosocial model are a bi-directional thing that's intertwined there's people that have um tons of pain that don't have really they can have very minimal or almost no mechanical signs of pain and sometimes those people can get classified into these diagnoses that are last resort diagnoses and people don't know how to help them and they don't get good services and um there's also people that have like tons of mechanical issues and they don't really even say they have pain and so there's so many variations of pain and the influences besides just mechanical muscle tones it's the other parts of their life that matter you know where they grew up you know people that live in inner cities with less education typically hurt more um people that have had trauma or abuse they're going to um they may have a completely different idea of their injuries and and stuff like that so there's all of these different things that affect pain from past history to current life and again that mental state at that time no that makes complete sense and does that i when we had chatted um a few weeks ago you had shown me this like pie chart almost does that kind of have to do with everything we just talked about with the approach and stuff yeah so um that's it's called the drivers of disability model and it's a model that's a more up to date approach to i would say physical therapy but really i i sure hope it's with every other clinician whether it be doctors and primary cares and all that too but basically it's a driver of disability model so it's kind of to form a a diagnosis on a human being we look at the mechanical presentation right so i'm a physical therapist i'm a human mechanic if they someone comes in with a bad shoulder you know we do these movements we check range of motion we check strength we do these special tests which give us mechanical you know car diagnosis of what's wrong with the car and then from that point we move into the nervous system and is the nervous system functioning appropriately or is it on hyperdrive or is it on you know a lower drive those are those classic um maybe fibromyalgia crps um those kind of diagnosis that really basically make pain faulty and don't give us um a clear mechanical presentation and then through those two more human body systems it's then you know comorbid conditions that affect it so are they sleeping horribly do they have sleep issues do they have diet issues do they have mental health issues those are comorbid issues that affect things and then there's the even two more um that talk about um pain behaviors and their emotional cognitive status as well as contextual factor factors like their job and their stress at work those are all things that drastically can affect pain so it's a way to almost classify where 
the biggest issues are and where treatment needs to be focused. So, you know, going back to, I guess, a, an example is, again, someone who's 20 years old, they've had a very lucky, healthy life, and they hurt their shoulder weightlifting, but everything else in life is going well. You know, we're going to focus more on the mechanical pieces. If you have someone who has 10 years of pain, exhausted every doctor, they're on tons of pain meds, they're diagnosed with mental conditions, um, they don't sleep, their income actually comes in from disability or something like that. There's all of these other factors that might dominate the treatment. And that patient may, you know, do, if I had an hour with them, 50 minutes of it might be just talking and, and talking about those systems and working on those other things versus 60 minutes of like exercising and stuff like that. So those depict kind of a good starting point and entry point to like help anybody. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, do you find that you kind of lean a little more on therapist than physical therapist sometimes depending on like your patient and obviously all of those factors when you're treating them? Yeah, so with my population now, I don't, but again, it really depends on where you work, right? So, you know, I would say if I took this one job in North Carolina that I almost did that was post-operative spine, they dealt with a lot of people that have had, you know, three or four surgeries, they've been on pain meds and they've gotten surgery after surgery. I would say a lot of those people would and should have some sort of screening for mental health and those other factors um, to get better. Um, in the setting I'm in now, treating outpatient joint pain, I see more of the um, generally healthy population. So I don't have to utilize those other networks of professionals as much. Um, but there is some research on like um, when people have these certain questions and they score a certain score on this on this test that you know a, a physical therapist and a mental therapist or a cognitive behavioral therapy you know a blend of two is more of the gold standard for those type of patients versus just physical therapy so there is all these kind of stratifying things that um, help and I definitely do utilize it like if I see it it's just that I don't have to deal with that as much with my own stuff and what I'm seeing now. Makes total sense. No, I completely agree. When I had my like inpatient post-op stuff after my spinal surgeries, I'm pretty sure half of the battle was getting me to go to physical therapy. So, I mean, it's like a combined total of three hours a day and I know it's kind of to jumpstart you, but at the same time, like I'm in pain, I'm depressed. I don't want to be there. I was like 19 and 20 years old, you know? So it makes total sense. But um, what are some of your favorite, like, tools? Like, out of, like, all the, like, the balls, the bands, all of that, like, what are, what are like, two or three of your absolute go-tos 90% of the time? So, <laughs> um, so first it's, it's, it's what the world would call stretching. Um, I don't call it stretching. It's more joint mobilizations. Um, so it's called end range loading. So I have a certification in mechanical diagnosis and therapy. 
And basically what's different about MDT is its ability to give the patient complete control of their pain and their diagnosis by almost me not fixing them. I, I fix them, but I'm almost more of an interpreter. So it's a standardized set of movements that I will do with patients. And whatever those motions do or don't do gives us a more clear roadmap to what your body or your body part should do more of or less of. So when I learned that, it completely changed everything for me and the like the actual value of what I do for people. Um, you know, so I guess for example, if you know, if I worked with someone ten years ago, I and they came up with a shoulder issue. You know, the, I could almost name 90% of someone's program. So they're going to stretch their arm across their body. They're going to stretch their arm behind their back. They're going to do low rows. They're going to do internal external rotations. They're going to do um, thoracic extension. They're going to do these almost cookie cutter. And that's the way we learned it in school. So it's not a bash at like professionals and stuff. Um, but once you continue your education and you learn more, MDT was one that really brought the power back to the patient with a more efficient evaluation. So MDT and what I would call end range loading, or maybe you could call it stretching and dosing it much differently than what most people are aware of is a complete game changing ability for patients to take control back of their body and to um, get their health back. So number one is end range loading. Number two, it's education or pain neuroscience education. Um, there's a bunch of really nerdy neuroscience PTs that over the past five, 10 years that have, that are again, actually really highly involved in the biopsychosocial model. Um, and I spend a lot of time educating about, you know, my X-ray says, or my MRI says I have a torn rotator cuff and you're telling me how you could help me How like, that doesn't make any sense. And so the pain neuroscience stuff is really um, educational that's needed to even get patients to understand how we could still help somebody if they have bone on bone or if they have a torn rotator cuff, like how could this stuff actually help? So pain neuroscience is something that's very, very important. And so what? Joint range, uh, end range, education. And next would probably just be like, you know, full body strengthening. So I utilize these super bands because um, they're super portable. I don't go to the gym every day for an hour. Um, but I do strength train and I use these bands because I can bring them anywhere. I can, I like the flexibility. And again, my brand and my business is really about anyone should be able to keep healthy with minimal to no tools. So that, again, that ties in my end range loading, which is just using your own body or like stuff at the house or stuff in your office to stretch. And then my bands are things that take up no space, can go in a suitcase, can go in your golf bag um, and go in your little home gym to do what 90% or 95% of humans need just for life. You know, it's not for the athletic population. It's not for pro D1 athletes, um, but it is for the very large amount of people that struggle even just with basic musculoskeletal health. So those are my three, I think. Yeah, no, those make complete and total sense. But yeah, I thanks for thanks for hanging out. And the I, we're in the middle of a gym, so it's chaotic, and it's actually my gym. So 
even more chaotic trying to like maintain professionalism while both of my ch- both of the, the owners are like yelling back there it was rather hilarious to try and keep a stray face this entire time but no i i really appreciate you coming on and talking about this this is definitely something that i've learned more on and i feel that other people are gonna i think it's important it's very important yeah i do too um yeah, there's, there's so many people out there that I know I can help and it doesn't mean like I need them forever, you know, sometimes just one or two visits, but when I just see people and hear people in public and um, hearing the things that they say, um, it's, it's kind of eye-opening and scary sometimes with how many people could use a little help, um, but that's another, that's another, that's another podcast. Oh, and we will have another podcast, but yeah, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a blast. You're welcome. Anytime. Hey, everyone. Hunter from the Everything is Connected podcast here. Heather from Hot Mass Espresso. And Amber from Connection Over Perfection. You know, in this world of endless chatter, finding genuine conversations can be a challenge. That being said, we introduce Podcast Connection Network, a space where we lay it all out unfiltered. Dive in with us. It's about authentic connections and conversations that truly matter. To learn more about the network and each of our podcasts, click the link in the description below. The Podcast Connection Network, never going to give you up, never going to let you down.